At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 476th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is inspired by nature's bounty. We're talking with Kimberly Kling on how herbs can impact your life. Kimberly is an herbalist, mother, part-time homesteader, gardener, and the creatrix, love that word, behind Joyful Roots, a botanical wellness brand. Kimberly and her family live on a four-acre mini farm in a rural ranching town in southern Arizona. She finds immense enjoyment in getting to know the local wild plants, experimenting with gardening, making art, creating with foods and herbs, and exploring the land around her. Through her business, Joyful Roots, her passions are channeled into helping others cultivate their inner joy by amplifying their self-care rituals and growing deeper roots in our Mother Earth. Kimberly is committed to offering small batch, 100% natural body care and soul care products that nourish our bodies, respect the earth, and empower us to greater well-being. Welcome to the show today, Kimberly. Are you ready to rock herbs? I'm ready. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's honestly an honor. I've listened to so many of your podcasts and they're so inspiring. So I grew up in a suburb of Chicago where suburbia meets cornfields. <laughs> and my father and I used to garden when I was a kid. And I was really interested in always seeing my my parents' friends' gardens and everything. But I went to college for engineering because, honestly, at that age, I didn't really know what career path to follow. And I was good at math and science in school, although I always said I wanted to be an artist. And after college, I learned about sustainable design, which was kind of just starting to surface at the edge of the design profession at the time. Yep. I ended up going out to Arizona for a semester-long program at the COSA Institute in Prescott, Arizona in 2004. And it was actually during that program that we took a field trip to your urban farm in Phoenix, Greg. Oh, wow. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. And I got to see what you're up to in your yard. It was just incredibly inspiring to see what you were doing in a small space. And then after ECOSA, I got a job in Scottsdale for a structural engineering firm. I worked there for about nine months and pretty much hated every minute of it. It was just not work that I was passionate about. And I was stuck inside an interior office all day sitting behind a computer. And one day I just 
couldn't take it anymore and I quit. <laughs> and I didn't have a backup plan. I know my parents were fairly concerned about my financial <laughs> well-being. I'm sure they were. <laughs> yeah, but I just really couldn't handle feeling like I was wasting my life every day going in there. And it ended up that I found an amazing job at the Desert Botanical Gardens in Phoenix leading school tours. But that job was only seasonal, so I ended up deciding to go back to grad school for landscape architecture at the University of Arizona. So I moved down to Tucson, and I was in that program for three years, and I absolutely loved it. But I graduated in 2009, just as the recession hit, and there were no jobs in landscape architecture. So I ended up back at an engineering firm and didn't really like that very much either. But then I met my husband rock climbing. And after a while of dating, I ended up moving down to his home in Hereford, Arizona, which is outside of Bisbee. And he had four acres and a house that he already lived in. So that's where I ended up. We're near Bisbee, Arizona, in the high desert at 4,600 feet elevation. And I always thought I was a city girl, but after a period of adjustment, I really started loving uh, rural living. And I feel so connected to the land out here. A lot of that just happened by getting outside and putting my fingers in the soil every day because we started a garden and I didn't have that before here in Arizona. And I feel like that creates such a beautiful connection that I really could have never imagined before doing it. And just to kind of wrap this up, um, how I got into herbalism, it was a process of both growing things in my garden and also after having my son, who is now five years old, I had a health crisis and I was going to a bunch of different doctors and nobody could give me answers. And then I started getting really frustrated and feeling like maybe I was a hypochondriac or something. I don't know, but I discovered herbs and they really helped to heal me along with changing my nutrition and healing some emotional aspects in my life. And now I have so much more energy and feel so much better so I can bring more of my passion into the world and also get out into the garden more. Nice. So do you have a education in herbalism or is this something that's self-taught? It's self-taught currently in school though. Oh, very good. Where, where are you in school at? Yeah, I'm doing an online program with the School of Evolutionary Herbalism. It's the Vitalist Herbalist Practitioner Program. Wow, how cool is that? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's such an incredible program. One of the things that I noticed that threads that is in your life is you seem to like to learn. Yeah, so <laughs> I always kind of thought of myself as a perpetual student. I really do love learning. Yeah. Yeah. I guess part of that was just like not really having found my passion. But even now that I have my passion, it's like I just want to learn constantly. And it even kind of set me more on fire in terms of learning. Like there's just so much amazing information out there now about herbs and herbalism with the Internet. And we have access to like all these incredible teachers and same goes for gardening. So that's a constant learning process. And I love that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, I consider myself, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, a lifelong learner. And I'm 50, I'm 58 years old. And it's like, what can I, what can I learn next? So definitely, I don't think I'll ever want to stop. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you jumped into herbalism. Tell me about your company. Okay. So I started 
my company about three years ago now. But prior to that, I was, you know, starting to dabble in herbalism and growing a bunch of herbs on our land. And I was making things with them and I was giving, sharing them with friends and family. And I just felt so passionate about it and knew that I was giving them things and making things for my family that didn't have a bunch of chemicals in them. They were, you know, really nourishing and they worked, but they weren't loaded with a bunch of chemicals for preservatives and stuff. So when I started Joyful Root as a botanical wellness company, it's mostly been skincare and body care products. Uh And those have also kind of, I guess one of my missions with that as well is to help people to develop and cultivate a stronger connection with the earth because that also was so incredibly healing for me. So it's a combination of like these products that can help you connect through just putting the herbs on your skin and having a sensual experience with the aroma of the herbs and the feeling of the products, but also connecting by developing a stronger relationship with the earth and with the plants. Yeah. Awesome. And what kind of products do you actually offer? So I have some herbal infused oils. Right now, the main oils that I have are face oils. And there's a morning one, an evening one, and then another one that uses the desert creosote bush. Wow. And I have a few salves and a spray, some aromatherapy roll-ons. And I'm and I'm venturing into some teas as well. I'm kind of trying to go more towards using what we're growing and doing things seasonally. So it's just evolving as I continue to learn. Well, so the creosote, that would be wild crafted. You're wild harvesting that, right? Sort of. It's on our land. So Yeah. Yeah, we're well we're wild crafting it from our own land. Here. Yeah. You're not you're not purposely growing creosote because there's so much of it out there. And it smells wonderful, especially around rain time, right? Yeah. Now, we actually are mostly mesquite here, so we don't have many creosote on our property. There is a stand of them down the road where it's a slightly lower elevation. Mm -hmm. But I have tried planting creosote and the gophers ate it. (laughs) Oh, interesting. So we have three large creosote bushes, but I would love to plant more. Hopefully I can get that to work in the future. There you go. So I'm on your website and you have a a delightful website here. I love the uh, caricature on the front page and that's joyfulroots.com. You've done a really nice job on the website. What? Thank you. Yeah. What is your intent with your business? Where are you going with it? That's a great question also. I actually just applied for a grant with Mountain Rose Herbs. We'll see what happens there. And one of The things that I've had this vision for is to someday have like a larger medicinal herb farm somewhere in this area. And then it was through the process of listening to some podcasts, actually, and it may have been yours, that people were talking about urban gardening and doing community gardens, but bringing the community gardens throughout the town Uh in people's yards and businesses and stuff. And I had this idea, like, why don't I plant herb gardens throughout the town instead of having one big farm? Why uh-huh. don't I bring gardens to the town and have them be right beside the people that would be using them and then use those gardens as teaching spaces as well and get the community involved? So that may be a direction that 
this is all going. I'm not quite sure yet. I would like to continue developing more products as well. It's it's really like part of where my passion is is growing the herbs and then and then getting to make creations with them. Yeah. That might turn into like a community supported wellness program where we do seasonal wellness boxes. Oh, nice. It's all kind of in the idea stage right now, but similar to community-supported agriculture, people could invest in a share of the harvest from the medicinal herb farms that were throughout the city, and then a group of us would create products with them. So the boxes would include like dried herbs, tea blends, infused oils, maybe herbal extracts and things like that. And they would get those seasonally um, based on whatever was harvested. Wow, that's brilliant, actually. Good job. And- well, thanks. I uh, I would love for it to take off and see where that goes. So it's definitely just the seedling of an idea at the moment, but hopefully we can put some of that into action. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. And you're in this exploration space of where you're really going next. And for me in my life, I've been self-employed for over 40 years. I've had over 30 businesses. Some of them, some of, literally some of my businesses lasted a sneeze is what I tell people. And I've had two businesses <laughs> that lasted over, that have lasted over 20 years each. And when uh-huh. I, when I got to the exploration part where you're at, those were the f- best times the most fun times for me. It's like, wow, what am I going to create next? So I feel yeah, your I feel your excitement there. Oh good. Thank you. Yeah, that that I love the idea stage of things and coming up with ideas is so fun and, and so is putting them into action. So oh, yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, and I, you know, I often say that you may have even heard me say this before, that things happen because somebody says so. Everybody listening out there, mm-hmm. take note on this. Kimberly's out there doing this work and creating something new. That's how we create a different world. You have to jump in and do something. And I see that you're doing a great job of that. Yay. High five to you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I really do think it just starts with one small step at a time. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, that's how it happened. And as I learn, I can just keep adding steps to it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and changes and evolves. So it's fun. Yeah. Yay. So we have an interesting story to share, and it started, well, obviously, we had some previous history. You'd been to the urban farm here for a tour, what, eight or 10 years ago? Yeah, actually, I think 15 now. 15 years ago. Wow. All right, cool. And one of the things that I say in life, and I've shared this on the podcast before, and I share it publicly often because we as human beings, we get so caught up in this lack consciousness, like there's not enough. I believe that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. And you heard that and you turned it into an amazing poem. You want to share about how that happened? As I started learning about native and wild plants in my yard and this local ecosystem here, I've just been continuously blown away by how many of the plants are either edible or medicinal and useful in some way. Every time I learn about another plant, it's like, wow, this is just really incredible. We're really surrounded by abundance everywhere, even in places where we're not growing food. And then when you add to it all of the people who are 
planting fruit trees and growing gardens and and the amount of produce that these gardens and these fruit trees create is incredible. A lot of people will just share their fruit trees, their harvest from their fruit trees because they can't use it enough. Use it all. So much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, you know, being in my environment, seeing that has been really inspiring. But then listening to your podcast, I've been listening to quite a lot of them lately. They've been just incredibly inspiring. And I've heard you say it several times, the only place lack lives is between our two ears. You were speaking with Bill McDormand in one of the seed saving classes about just how much abundance we have everywhere, if only everyone knew, and how you have a mission to save seeds and teach people how to save seeds and that helping people with that is starting to shift the paradigm and we're starting to see all of the possibilities and see how much abundance is everywhere. So I think part of that is just a matter of us relearning and reawakening to what lives around us. Like, for example, this is something I learned recently. We have a, pro- a problem, I'm going to say in quotes, with Bermuda grass. Yep. And it really does kind of take over the garden and it chokes things out. But I recently learned that it's actually edible and medicinal. Yep. And so I've been like adding it to my smoothies and stuff and I've been wanting to juice it. I haven't done that yet. But in Ayurveda, it's actually called derva grass and some sources have said that it's the second most sacred Indian herb. So that's pretty incredible. Like nature is just providing us this incredible amount of nourishment so much more than we could ever use right here in our garden. And we're not even having to cultivate it. <laughs> right. So I guess just if we could all reframe our perception of these weeds that are around us to being something that is actually being provided for us as food or medicine, that would make a huge impact on our paradigm. <laughs> oh, exactly. So it inspired you to write a poem, which I actually then saw you posted on Facebook and I read it and Quite honestly, I was in tears. Do you want to talk a little bit about the poem and then read it? Yeah, sure. So that's what the poem really stemmed from is like this feeling of we're kind of taught this feeling of lack throughout our lives, but really we have so much abundance around us. And the morning that I wrote the poem, I actually wrote it in 30 minutes or less because. Wow. Yeah, I woke up before my son got up and I usually have like 45 minutes in the morning if I wake up early enough before he gets out of bed and it just kind of flowed out of me. That will happen every once in a while. It doesn't happen that often. And I posted it to Facebook just a little bit after that and just got this like really wonderful response and and you saw it and that's when you invited me to be on the podcast. But it also stems from the feeling I had when I was working that job that I hated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where I have a line in there about your soul being sucked dry in a giant air box. And that's where that comes from. It was like uh-huh. my life not following my passion and not being, being afraid to go after my passion because of fear of lack, because of fear of not being able to make ends meet. Yeah. And then transforming that. Well, I'm going to steal the first line and I'm going to say, buckle down, sister, and read it. All right. Buckle down, sister. Hitch up your socks. Push down your feelings, stomach, and knots. Conformity beckons a virulent touch that sucks the soul dry in a giant air box. Gold at the table? Why would you want more? 
Society tells you your love's at the store, but my riches lie elsewhere in red dirt and bugs and green things and growing things and smiles and in hugs. A joyous expression on my child's face when gleefully laughing in a chicken yard chase. Watching the sycamore grow taller each year, the peach and the plum trees ripe fruit that is near. The slow singing river with willow and rush that swallows the evidence of society's rush. It's not always easy to break from the path expected by many for fear of great lack, but in nature we see abundance profound. All we need is to notice the great gifts all around. When we look with our heart, we can come from a place that will see it is possible to feed the whole human race. The only place lack lives is between our two ears. Working in nature's flow will wash away many fears. The swamps and the prairies, the rivers and lakes, the forests and mountains provide what it takes to care for all creatures and gift us great pleasure if we love our dear planet and treat her as a treasure. Wow. You know, I'm so glad we had you read it because it's that much more impactful. Good job. Oh, thank you. You bet. So we're going to go ahead and put that up on our blog the day that the podcast comes out so that for all those of you that want to listen, you can go to our show notes page and it'll be posted there. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to read that and share that. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. I'll go back to what I talked about in the poem The first part of the poem relates to my time in the corporate scene. And when I used to work as an engineer, it really felt soul-sucking to me. It was I was literally stuck in this giant building in an interior room with no windows and this AC that was so cold that I actually had to bring a space heater in in the middle of the Phoenix summer when it was 102 degrees outside to keep my hands from turning blue. And I stayed there for a lot longer than I think I should have because I was worried about disappointing people. And I thought that it was the most practical thing to do. And I was really just trying to please everyone except for myself. And I was also afraid. So that was my, I would say one of my bigger failures, but really what that taught me was that I needed to live my joy because once I started following my passions and my joy, I began to feel lit up and I felt like I was really being supported to follow this path. Every time I would make a choice that was one of, that came from a place of that abundance and feeling like I was supported and following my passion, things would just fall into place. So it was through that failure of kind of going off my path that I was able to realize that life is meant to be joyful and that we live our life based on when we live our life based on joy and we step into guidance and grace and more abundance. Nice. You said worried about disappointing people. Can you tell me more about that? I suppose that I was for most of my life, trying to be a good girl. (laughs) And I didn't want to, I was worried more about letting other people in my life down by not doing what I thought they wanted from me than I was about making myself happy and following after that inner joy. Yeah, I would say like, mainly it probably was, you know, my parents, but also like teachers and people who 
who I thought wanted something specific from me. But really now what I realize is they just wanted me to be happy as well. Yeah, that's interesting because early in life for me, I was in school. I went to college in 1980, 1981, 1982. And I was there because my dad wanted me to be there. And mm. in the fall of 1981, I was at Arizona State University and doing undergraduate work. And that semester, I got a 0.5 grade average. If you're doing the math on that, that's two Ds and an F is what I accomplished that one semester. And I I think that was a realization for both my dad, because he paid for me to be there, and me that, wow, I didn't really want to be doing that. Back then, I was self-employed. I was, you know, I was supporting myself to a certain extent. And, you know, once I got done with school that semester, I got my butt kicked out of the house And it became this huge learning experience of me doing what nurtured and supported and what I loved. And so that was one of my early experiences of not wanting to disappoint people. And turns out my dad loves, well, he's not with us any longer, but when he was alive, he absolutely loved what I did and what I do in the world. So we have to take note. We have to take note of Where's the juice around that? And are we really disappointing people? Because I think you said it really well that they just wanted you to be happy. Definitely. And and they're hugely supportive of me now. Nice. What do you consider your biggest success? Would have to say that would be my five-year-old son. He is incredibly inquisitive. He's really creative and he loves exploring and using his hands to make things or help out around the home. And he really soaks things up like a sponge, which I'm sure a lot of parents will say about their children as well. But it's just so exciting to see like how he reacts to being outside with me, especially in the garden and learning about the plants and like seeing something new in the soil or a new insect that he's never seen. But I guess what, what really like gives me pride is when he will have friends over and he will get so excited to bring them into the garden and he'll show them all the different plants that are out there and name them by name. Like he knows which things are growing out there that you can eat. And he'll bring them over to the stevia plant and like tell them, have a bite of the stevia. It tastes so good. Or he'll find strawberries for them. And he knows that the plant, the other plant is fennel. And that feels like a huge success to me that know, to know that he's empowered and has knowledge about our natural world and he's learning skills to be self-sufficient. He just knows so much more than I did at that age. So (laughs) it's really exciting to see that. Nice. Yeah. And might I guess that what drives you in the world has a little bit to do with him? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say if you scale that out a bit, it would just be like knowing that rekindling our human connection to the earth is really paramount to living a vibrant and healthy life. And so I've seen what reconnecting to the earth did for my own health, physically, mentally, spiritually, and so I know that it can do the same thing for others. It's something that our ancestors knew deeply. And I think that people are starting to reclaim that connection. But there are still a lot of people that feel really disconnected. And so I think by like seeing my son and how, how much more connected he is than a lot of other kids and a lot of people, that drives me to, to want to help other people cultivate that connection. And so that really is 
at the heart of a lot of the decisions I make on a daily basis for myself and my family and my business. And it comes back to like, how will this impact this greater organism called the earth that I'm a part of? How will this impact my non-human relatives and my human relatives? How is this going to impact future generations? And so, yeah, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, like my drive is caring for the earth and helping others to cultivate that connection. Wow. Within themselves. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? There's a lot of books I love. And I was going to give an herb book, but one of the books that had the most impact on me is called If Woman Rose Rooted, and it's by Sharon Blackie. And it's really this call to women to reclaim their native power and connection to the earth so that we can live more holy and more empowered. And it kind of, it dives into Celtic mythology, which is where a lot of my ancestry is, comes from. And these mythological stories, while also bringing about this desire to get back to being rooted in ways of living that honor the earth. So it's a really amazing book and it, it just greatly impacted me. Wow. And what was the name of it again? It's If Woman Rose Rooted and it's by Sharon Blackie. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think this one's actually pretty simple. I would say just get outside, spend five minutes a day outside in silence and just take in your surroundings. It can be in a very natural environment, like getting out into the woods or the mountains, but it could also just be in your backyard or if you're in the city, just find a tree and sit by it and just spend five minutes a day of silence noticing your senses and observing what's happening around you in the natural environment. And that can have just such a wonderful impact on um, grounding your energy and bringing you back to that connection that I was talking about before, because we are nature. And so when we get outside and connect to the greater whole, we're also connecting back into ourselves and our essence. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kimberly. Thank you so much. This was really wonderful. It has been a really fun conversation. And Janice tells me that you're going to send us a recipe for our blog. So we'll look forward to seeing that. Plus on the show notes page, we'll have a copy of the poem that you wrote. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can find me at Instagram at Joyful Roots and also on Facebook at Joyful Roots. And my website is www.joyfulroots.com. Perfect. And you have a special offer for our listeners today. Yeah, I would like to offer a special discount to Urban Farm Podcast listeners of 15% off my online shop for their first order with the coupon code UrbanFarmJoy. That's U-R-B-A-N. F-A-R-M-J-O-Y. Beautiful. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash joyful roots. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. 
In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.